You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1120 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I'm your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday, and today's podcast is brought to you by the good folks at McDonald's. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty and affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. Today's podcast will be myself and Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Always fun to talk to Glenn, a friend of the podcast in every sense, and that'll be coming up momentarily. But first, a little bit of news and some roundup stuff before I bring Glenn in. Um, first, Sarah Spencer of the AJC, also a friend of the podcast, talked to Onyeka Kongwu, the Hawks' first-round pick from last season, who has not played just yet. And uh, lots of news and roundup stuff from that interview alone. I would definitely encourage you to read the entire piece from Sarah, and I will not spoil all of it. But Kongwu did say that his goal is still to be back on the floor by the end of December. The Hawks have long said January, but it's still good to sort of hear that optimism from Kongwu. I'm still planning on January, to be honest with you, but still, that's a positive development. He revealed in the interview, at least he talked more extensively about it, that he actually got hurt in May and wanted to play through it, and the Hawks let him do that for a little while until the pain got worse and worse, and then it was a complete tear from there. So basically played on it for you know two months without uh, being able to keep going, basically, by the end of that. Um, he's been lifting and running and shooting. There's been some video circulating from Sarah and Chris, Chris Kirchner of The Athletic and Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com about a Kongwu shooting from practice. People get excited about that for sure, and I, I don't blame them for that. I, I do think that Akonga was basically a non-shooter last year as a rookie. I wouldn't take too much from like standstill stuff in videos, but I will say that a lot of people that I talk to and even my own observations from pre-draft believe that Akonga will be able to shoot at some point. Will it be like bombing away from three? Maybe not. But I think he will be a threat. His touch is just too good. I, I would compare that to Collins in a lot of ways. Not that I'm saying that he'll, be, that he'll be as good as Collins at jump, at shooting. I think Collins has been an outlier development in terms of how good he's been as a shooter. But in college, Collins was not a shooter really at all. And he became one. And Kongwu has that kind of touch. Not quite, you know, Collins is uber elite touch. But I do think that Kongwu might be able to shoot at some point in time, which is obviously this is a good time to sort of be able to build on that during this downtime. Um, and he did say that he's ramping up was the way that he described it to Sarah, saying he's feeling stronger, his legs in particular, getting his upper body stuff back, and it's going well at the moment in time. So um, he f- says he feels good, and that's a, a lot of positivity there, but I will definitely encourage you to read that piece from um, from Sarah on Akonwu. The trio with Jalen Johnson, Sharif Cooper, and Skylar Mays is headed back to College Park. They're there actually as of Thursday. No surprise there. Those guys are not playing in the rotation right now for the Hawks. And after a 12-day layoff between games, kind of a bizarre schedule in the G League a lot of the time, College Park has a home game on Friday night and another one on Sunday afternoon. So after that hiatus when the Hawks um, brought those guys back to practice and be around the team, it would definitely explain the fact that they would be going back to College Park because the Hawks don't have a game until Saturday. So at the very least, it would make all the sense in the world to have those guys play with College Park on Friday, and then maybe reassess after that. But no surprise there. If you want to watch that game, it'll be, I'm sure, available to be streamed. I know Peachtree TV is carrying some games as well, and uh, that'll be fun to watch to see. Uh, keep a, I guess keep a close, close, an eye, close eye on those young guys, particularly Johnson and Cooper. I know fans are very interested by those guys. Um, our friends at Bet Online also released updated odds today, um, and they were a sponsor of the podcast. But um, they're these futures basically. Um, at this point in time, the Hawks are 33 to one to win the NBA title. 
That is the that is actually tied for the 11th best odds in the league with Dallas, ironically. Also just ahead of Chicago and Boston. Uh, the Hawks are 16-1 to to win the East. Um, fifth best odds between behind Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami, and Philadelphia, and just ahead of Chicago. You know, that doesn't seem crazy to me. I think the Hawks, um, given how they've played so far, you know, I would definitely think they have a better chance to win the title than Dallas, for instance. Um, they are they would be ahead of Chicago and Boston for me as well. Kind of this is a decent spot for them. Um, you know, there were times when the Hawks probably were a little bit more of a uh, public team this year coming into the season, I should say, because of their hot run last year. But now people are probably a little bit off of them. I'm still higher on the Hawks than I think national consensus at this point in time, but I wanted to at least pass that along for some context. And um, also from there, from, from there, the Hawks, as I said before, do return to action on Saturday against Charlotte. Charlotte plays Friday night, and I'm recording this podcast Thursday evening into Friday, so keep that in mind. It's a back-to-back for the Hornets. That is worth pointing out with travel for Charlotte, whereas the Hawks will have two days off at home. So a significant advantage there in terms of the rest-slash-travel stuff for the Hawks in that game. As I record this, and before they play on Friday, the Hornets actually won the last four games in a row, so they're playing very well at the moment, although they lost five in a row before that, so kind of a uh, Jekyll and Hyde start for Charlotte this season. They'll be either 10-7 and or 9-8 and when the game starts, so they'll have a better record than the Hawks when the game actually tips on Saturday. They're really good on offense, top 10 in the league right now on offense. They're below average on defense, and I think um, definitely probably bottom 10 talent on defense. They have a lot of offensive talent for sure, but guys like LaMelo and Miles Bridges, Gordon Hayward, P.J. Washington are all better on offense than defense. Terry Rozier is probably the same at this point in time. So they don't have a ton of defensive talent. They're also kind of small in general when they play Washington at center, etc. Um, beyond that, you know, LaMelo has been really good this year and year two. Miles Bridges has been awesome as he sort of breaks out before his uh, contract year. Um, also, they still have Hayward is still very good, for instance. Um, they have good depth. Rozier has been playing well for the last couple years as well. Overall, I would say the Hawks are better than the Hornets, even in neutral circumstances. But when you factor in that the Hawks are at home, number one, also at rest advantage, number two, this is a good spot for the Hawks. I think they should be favored in this game, and they probably will be, barring a surprise injury between now and Saturday. There will not be a line on the game until at least Friday because of the fact that Charlotte is playing on Friday night. But Bet Online and our friends there are always the place to check out all the lines as they come out. I will say there is one projection up. This is not a betting line, but a projection from 538 as of Thursday has the Hawks as eight point favorites or so in that game. So we'll see if that ends up being the case. But the Hawks, in my mind, if everybody plays that's supposed to play, should win. Doesn't mean they will, but they are definitely should be favored. And that's a a relatively favorable spot. And then the Hawks play at Monday against Oklahoma City, who's even worse. Obviously, that's a better spot for the Hawks overall, which we'll touch on at a later time. Um, before we get to Glenn, I want to uh, give you sort of a plea to subscribe to the podcast. I do this often. I ask people to subscribe to the show. But I do want to take a second to thank everyone for who's already done so. I know there are a lot of listeners who I hear from that have already subscribed and they want to help the podcast whenever possible. There's no Patreon. There's no you know support service in that way. So the only way that I will ask you to support the podcast is to... I guess follow on Twitter, um, but also more importantly to subscribe slash follow the show on your favorite podcast platform, whether it be you know Stitcher or Odyssey or whatever, but particularly on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, please leave a positive feedback, five-star ratings and reviews if you enjoy the show. Also, please, 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 if you, if you know Hawks fans in your life that have not found the podcast yet, please share it with them. They may not love it, but please give them a chance to like it, and that's the best way to support the podcast. I'll check out our sponsors. So that's uh, sort of an overarching ask. Every once in a while, I'll get a question about how to support the podcast, and the best way to do that is to click around old episodes, download episodes, subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. Um, I'm not above asking for that kind of manipulation. It definitely helps the podcast, so please uh, continue to do that. And again, very much thank you for supporting the show. 
All right, before we get to Glenn, and uh, a lot of conversation, actually. It was a lot of fun to talk to Glenn, as always. He's very good in schematic instances, and he's a really close observer of the Hawks. Watches every game. I can vouch for that. We talked about we talked about the Hawks basically during and after every game, and uh, lots of fun stuff to get to from that. But before we get to that, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Prize Picks. Attention, NBA fanatics. I have to tell you about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will, too. PrizePix is the best NBA DFS prop game on the market, and it offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as all the bench players, that only, even if they only record a handful of minutes each and every game. PrizePix offers any prop that you can think of. In football, it's yardage to touchdowns, even interceptions thrown. In basketball, it's points, it's assists, it's rebounds, and much, much more. And every user that deposits and uses the promo code that we have here will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And that promo code is NBA. One more time, that promo code is NBA. You pick two to five players and an overrunner on their projections. You can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you against the projected numbers. Prize Picks allows mixed sports entries. You can take the over on LeBron combined with the under on Mahomes in the same entry, and that goes for Trey Young as well. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entry can be made 60 seconds or less. It's just that easy. Yes, you can do all of this in under 60 seconds. PrizePix is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com and use the promo code NBA or go to the App Store right now and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. I am joined now by friend of the podcast, Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops is here. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Brad? I'm okay. Uh, we're at the, I guess, the one-fifth mark of the season. Already. <laughs> the Hawks have played 16 games out of 82, and that's uh, roughly 20%. So we're basically one-fifth of the way done. It's been a topsy-turvy time, as I was talking about both yesterday and also early on this podcast before I brought you in. But, uh, you know, 7-9 and nine feels better than 4-9, and nine, that's for sure. They've won the last three games, and I'm sure everybody's feeling better than they were uh, a little while ago. I want to ask you about what you think has changed, but I also want to kind of start here. I want to start with what you saw when they were struggling, uh, you know, beyond the just the fact that they, the schedule was very difficult, and it definitely was. Um, still, being 4-9 and nine was not what anybody saw. So uh, I want to ask you, uh, what did you see in terms of concerns or things that you just observed after a, a pretty slow start for the Hawks? Yeah, um, gosh, there's so many things we could hit on. Um, like to start the season, I thought the offensive continuity was just a, a real struggle. Um, they weren't set, um, you know, together when they would kind of get into their actions and uh, and things like that. And so I thought that I don't know why that was the case. I don't know if basically in no time with Clint in the preseason or whatever that might have been. Um, and you know, Kevin was limited and they were trying to get Hunter back. So, you know, maybe that word continuity is, is the key is the key word there on defense. We've talked about the fact that they were switching a ton early and I, you know, you and I've talked a little bit about how uh, that's probably, uh, or maybe not the solution for them, depending on kind of what the drivers are there. And so they've just been in sync more on offense. They've had more continuity up until, uh, losing Hunter, but they thankfully have kind of some wing depth uh, with guys who've been around for a while. So it's not like they're you know, needing now with Hunter out to integrate guys that are kind of brand new to the rotation. Um, and I think they have cut down on the switching. And then on top of that, Clint just finally looks like Clint, you know, for the last, what, five games, it's been kind of an uptick in the last maybe two or three games. He seems like maybe he's um, all the way there. Um, yeah. So, so those are the big things that concern me. And then you also have to just recognize that like the Denver game, they just missed great shots and there has been, and that's part of the NBA, but that 
at times when other other parts of their play was pretty good and pretty solid like i thought it was in denver overall they just couldn't get their makeable shots to go down um and so that that was kind of the 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 top uh line things that i was seeing early in the season that was concerning um and was contributing to uh their difficulty in uh, getting wins yeah i was kind of workshopping this the other day just to myself and i do wonder you know the first time the hawks had two days off this season was between the utah game and the denver game on the road and they were on the road still you know it's you had, you had to travel all that stuff it was the end of a long trip but uh you mentioned the denver game and I've been kind of thinking this the whole time. I wonder if a lot of the stuff that they kind of have, you know, quote unquote fixed or addressed started then and people didn't really notice it just because they lost. Um, and like you just said, they didn't, they didn't shoot well in that game. But that that is one that I've kind of circled as like not a turning point because, you know, they lost the game, all that stuff, and it's too early to really talk about that. But I, I do wonder if like having that maybe extra little practice, like actually having a practice for one thing um, in between those two games, having a little bit extra time for film, um, kind of resetting. And, yeah, they ran into Jokic, and that was kind of a buzzsaw, and they didn't play that well in terms of their offense. But uh, I've kind of circled that. Obviously, you know, just linearly, the, the win against Milwaukee is probably going to be that for, for most people because they finally won a game. But I do wonder, like, some of that kind of started to show in that Denver game. Yeah, I think that was true in Phoenix too, minus the last four minutes or whatever. I thought yeah. they were the better team in that game, played at a really high level on both ends. And then there were other examples, like I think both Utah games, we um, we saw them kind of correct quite a bit, maybe at halftime or kind of cut across the second half and play better, um, you know, for the most part there. I think, and then in, in Golden State, you know, you just ran into, you know, Steph Curry on one of his A-plus uh nights but uh, but you know we look at phoenix and and some portions of other games and you could see them and not in my from my vantage point kind of doing more of the things they need to do to play winning basketball and i think you know having got home now um and 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 having had be able to look back on the last you know four or five games before coming home and seeing some stretches of games even when there were you know bad outcomes where the play was what they needed to be and what they're aiming for and since coming home, it feels like they're able to um, kind of uh, execute that level from the start of the game and, and not dig that uh, hole early um, against even a reasonably capable team in the NBA. It's hard hard to kind of come back. So I think in terms of the last three games, I think the biggest thing is that they're executing uh, for the most part across the whole game and not kind of needing you know t- most the most of two quarters, if not a little bit more than that at times, to kind of get their execution sorted out, then you got a big hole. And so the, the consistent execution across the whole game, the last three games has been what's kind of helped them really kind of get to a level they've not been at this year, in my view. Yeah, I, I agree. There's been obviously been a lot less lulls. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, and this is three-game sample size, but their offense has been, you know, night and day, basically. I think they're up to about a 122 offensive rating in the last three games. And the, the you know, the competition level has not been quite as high. You know, Milwaukee is Milwaukee, but they weren't at their full strength by any means. Orlando is not very good. Boston's a good defense, to be fair. Um, sure. But, you know, just kind of in general, I, I agree with you, like being more consistent. I was going to ask you also, like anything schematically that's changed because, you know, obviously Hunter being out at that point in time maybe unlocks some things because of the way he was playing. And um, there's that whole debate that I don't want to go down necessarily a whole, a whole lot of because uh, <laughs> you and I, I think, agree on the uh, the narrative that, that Hunter being out is not going to necessarily be a good thing for them. I think it actually could have potentially um, been a little bit of a shot in the arm to the offense. But uh, Agreed. Yeah. But other than that, like, 
is that is the offensive side where you've seen growth or is it kind of both ends of the floor because the defense has actually been better too i think well i mean yeah I, I think there is growth and improvement offensively as well um the thing i would start with is that um and I think this is a little bit more of a subtle thing. So depending on how closely one, one wants to watch a game, I'm not, I'm not trying to kind of sound like I'm talking down to anyone. You can, you can watch a game casually. You can half watch a game or whatever your your it is, but Trey has been c- controlling games more like he did last year, especially the second half more. So in the last about the last five games or so um, before that, I think we would see examples where he was individually pressing. And now he seems to kind of be for whatever reason, back to a point where he knows he can control a game even if he's given the ball up and he gets trapped. If he's kind of getting everyone else in the right spot to attack the four on three or whatever that that opportunity is. So, so Trey even himself has got himself to a point where he's that kind of guy who can control the game. That's been there. Um, I think they've been chasing um, mismatches, offensive mismatches or perceived mismatches in some cases. Uh, a lot less than they were about the first five or six games of the year. Some of that might come with Hunter um, not playing for a few games and now being out because he is sort of their uh, mismatch um, tool. You know, um, when other teams put a big wing on Trey, oftentimes Hunter will draw the, the smaller guy. Or if Hunter gets shuffled up to the four or the five, they love to set him up to attack there. And uh, Hunter was just slow, you know, offensively and kind of everything that he was doing and methodical for the most part. And, you know, if he were healthy, it would be worth trying to get his um uh kind of um kind of rhythm up and have him playing a little bit faster and, and that thus allowing him to integrate kind of the rest of what they were doing but it it would have um probably created some amount of short-term drag on what they were doing in office which you were kind of probing a moment ago people who are making that point i think are are correct so offensively i think it's um you know trey uh kind of controlling the game in a way that doesn't um involve him overly trying to um uh, impact the game individually um that there's always gonna be some of that with the guy of his talent but he's not overdoing that now and then chasing mismatches um you know more you know less frequently and then the last thing was Gallo's actually making shots now Lou's been making shots the last few games and that makes a world of difference between kind of what the offense runs into especially when when Trey's off um but, you know, we talked about you know, like Herder needing to kind of get into playing shape and Capella that, I mean, I never saw Gallo on an injury report, but by everything that I've seen, he's needed a, a time to kind of get into a point where his conditioning or whatever else might be going on there um, allowed him to actually start making shots. So that that all kind of rounding out uh, at the same time has been uh, beneficial. And then, you know, with Herder, um making shots that helps when Bogdanovich is making shots that helps when Boston last night was determined to not let Trey really create any uh kind of uh lobs for their bigs you know Herder Bogdanovich made shots that that kind of um punished uh what the Celtics were leaving for the Hawks so they're kind of putting it all together and you know where earlier in the year when they get a win I'd still kind of look at that and say that's not like super sustainable winning basketball these last three games, I felt like on the offensive end, they're doing the things holistically and collectively that are um, going to lead to kind of sustainable wins if they can keep the execution at that level. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple more things in a second, but first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats, and plenty of them, but maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. And with that said, it's the perfect time for Built Bar. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. 
This is something that's totally delicious. I feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. That might even be on the low end. But most built Bars have only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut built bar. Go for a raspberry built bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie, and they're low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein, and covered in 100% chocolate. Built bar is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a built bar or two. Share some of your family gatherings. It'll make even things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a built bar yet. We'll have new surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at built.com regularly, so check out the site often. There's nothing like a built bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. And for now, you can go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15, 15% off in your next order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCK15, 50% off at built.com. All right, Glenn, uh, I wanted to kind of piggyback on what you were saying before the break. And uh, it's interesting to me, like, how much was just like regression to the mean because they we had been scuffling so much. And, you know, as we've kind of all said, I feel like at some point, this team, as long as Trey is upright, um, have always been good on offense to some degree. And it was like kind of maddening that they were getting away from what they were, what they do best as well. I wonder how much of that um, you're seeing in terms of like, you know, they were you know, definitively taking more mid-rangers. They were running less pick and roll. Um, their shots at the rim weren't like super down, but they weren't converting as many of them. Like, do you think it was just as simple in, in a lot of ways as just regression to the mean, or were there actual like schematic things that were jumping out to you as like potentially problematic that have now been sorted sorted out a little bit? Yeah, I the only thing schematically that's different is not wasting a shot clock time chasing individual matchups, which we yeah. touched on already. But they're and what they're running, they're spreading out more and giving trade kind of the middle of the court. If you went and looked like the first time of seven or eight games or so, a lot of times um, you didn't have a shooter in both corners, deep in both corners. Um, for example, you didn't have kind of John, uh, John and Clint kind of settled into where it looked like they knew exactly where each of them needed to be um on a given possession and so they're just spreading out a lot more and creating that space for trade which trade just kind of makes you know a, a ton of good stuff out of that so that's been the biggest thing um uh in addition uh to that um i think i would add that the adjustment to for a few games at least anyway played john with that second unit um was helpful and and surprisingly, I know there's been some de a decent amount of discussion here, like his passing, you know, if you're going to play him at the five and kind of let him operate, you know, to start a possession on the perimeter, in many cases, especially without Trey, that's going to, that's going to be what it looks like that passing um, that he's been showing this year. And you know, I, I look it up today, he has a two to one assist uh, the turnover ratio, which is phenomenal for, for where he's been. Um, they've kind of gone away from that. I think, I don't know if some of that is just foul trouble uh, against the Celtics. I think it was uh, because of the way they were trapping wanting to have uh, Capella and Collins on the court together a lot. Um, but it really is, it's, I think all the same stuff they're running that maybe a little down on their floppy action. I don't think they're running that quite as much, um, but they're just um, spreading the floor and burying um, players, uh, shooters in both corners and giving trade more space to work with than it was earlier this year. I think that's the biggest schematic adjustment, even if that's a pretty nuanced one. No, it makes total sense, honestly, like, you know, just getting into stuff quicker and not having to, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Hunt, hunt, I think hunting mismatches is something that you just have to do in the NBA on some level. 
but at the same time, you can kind of overdo it when you when your system itself that you've kind of been running, you know, obviously back to the previous coaching staff in some ways, but it was never like a it was pretty successful <laughs> with what they were doing a lot okay. of the time. Spread, spread, like the spread pick and roll stuff with Trey, he's very comfortable in that way. And anyway, um, I, I do want to ask you by the way, um, this is actually a mailbag question that I got, but I thought you'd be better to answer this in some ways. <laughs> okay. uh, and it was because it's it's more it's a lot of it is kind of schematic, but I talk about this all the time, and you know how much they were struggling early on defensively um, had to do with, at least in part, Clint not being this end guy and how they've kind of built their system around Clint being awesome. And he was awesome last year, and that kind of almost single-handedly took them up a level. Not not only him, but certainly he was the biggest part of it all. Uh, somebody asked me, and I wanted to hold it for this, kind of like what that even means in terms of how they've built things around him. And also, almost more importantly for this, for this discussion, is like, what kind of signals can you pick up on when Clint is good versus when he's not? Like, does he look slow? Uh, it was it was a very long question. So I'm not going to read the entire thing to you. It was actually an email. It was, actually, it was a great email. But uh, it was kind of basically looking for, like, what we would see when we're pointing out that, like, Clint's not the same guy. Is it just, like, physical stuff? Is, it not re- is, it, is he not reacting? Because I think, obviously, I think almost everybody agrees he's been looking better. And it's not only the stats. Like, he's, you know, big man defense. Yes, you can look at blocks rebounds and stuff like that but um, his impact goes well beyond that so it's like I guess what do you what do you look for and particularly with a guy like Capella who's anchoring the defense yeah for me it's an interesting question but for me early in the season it was at times at times you were sure that the conditioning wasn't there yet and then he started talking about it openly at at some point right um, which oh yeah, and so and so did Nate too. Nate, right. Nate was uh, and not 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 just with Clint, but Nate was talking about with a lot of guys. But and then it kind of felt like he was talking more about Clint because he had referenced the fact that he missed preseason and all that stuff. Right, but then there were so many examples when he would switch on the perimeter, especially kind of in that area of the three point break, and he would be what 22, 23 feet from the rim on a smaller player, and it's like, what is the plan to? make him available to help at the rim if the ball gets um you know moved to the weak side and they attack the weak side or whatever yeah it just didn't seem like very reasonable and i mean which sounds funny to say because clint is that's one of his strengths is his ability to recover and recover space quickly um and things like that but even a guy with his um, level of capability in those areas i don't think you still want him like consistently more than 20 feet away from the basket on the ball you know um, and, and so that was, um, you know, I thought the thing that always made me feel like I can't even assess really fully what's going on here. I, I, I think he still needs to get in game shape, but even if he were in the same, you know, shape he were last year when he was playing at his playing at his best, I still don't think you want him 22, 23 feet from the rim out on the ball, like all the time. That's not how to kind of set him up to make an impact. And so they've reduced that and his conditioning, um, by all accounts appears to uh, have come along, um, but in addition to that, just when I, you know, I, I don't know Clint personally at all. Um, and what we see through the media about players is not always something we could take at face value, but I would guess he's probably not an extrovert, that he's more of an introverted type. Um, and, um, when he's not feeling good or when he's not feeling set up for success, uh, it looks to me like he doesn't communicate as much and he's not um, taking um, initiative or not demonstrating as much defensive leadership as we got used to seeing last year. And since he's been feeling better and since they've kind of fixed or adjusted some of the schematic things to keep him anchored in the middle a little bit more, you're seeing a lot more. If you're, if, if you're kind of watching and can't hear the players talking to each other on the game, those noticing him point the direction he wants a perimeter defender to push the ball handler 
and organizing the backside and getting everyone, you know, there's, he's doing like way more of that these last recent games, um, which is where so much of the value comes, even if that in, in those possessions where he's organizing and telling everyone kind of which way to direct um, the ball handler. And if that ball doesn't end up kind of in the middle and he's not you know, impacting the play with the block or something like that, that still is pretty unique and tremendous value that he brings to them defensively. That was so obvious l- last year, especially as they were, you know, working their way um, through the postseason. So I've just been encouraged to see his energy and communication up. Um, and that makes me think he's feeling better. He feels more set up for success. Um, and he's, he's just looking more like the Clint that we saw at the end of last year, which makes me feel um, hopeful overall, especially because the Hawks still, especially without Hunter, are, uh, I think, a little underskilled in terms of um, on-ball perimeter defense. But him organizing which way to kind of push the ball, which way to push the ball handler kind of helps everyone else know where they need to be and gives them a chance as a five-man unit to kind of still um, offer some containment uh, on the perimeter. So that's that. those are the big things that I've been seeing there. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you and I always think, uh, always, not, not, not always, usually think very similarly. And I was going to mention if you didn't, um, how kind of shaky the point of attack, the point of attack defense has been this year overall. Even when Hunter was playing, it wasn't like it was you know everybody was not. It's not one person. It's not two people. It's kind of as a general rule. I think that's one, been one of the weaknesses this year so far through sixteen games is that they have not been great at stopping penetration, and that can, that even puts more of an emphasis on Capella, um, particularly with the roster they have right now. You know, Collins has been pretty good. I think as that secondary guy, but they just kind of filter everything to, to Capella, and they were giving up, as of, like, I think it was three days ago, like 70% of the rim for the season. And part of that's that Capella wasn't quite himself, but also, like, you know, there's been some very clear, uh, like, downhill rim attacks this year, and that's perimeter stuff more so sure. than Capella. So it's a mixed bag, but, yeah, I mean, obviously he looks better right now. That's the biggest takeaway, and, you know, a lot of it maybe is explainable by the fact that he just wasn't physically up to snuff, and um, last year was kind of the same thing, by the way. Early on in the year, he had, he, had the, he had that lost season the year before when he got to Atlanta and didn't play the rest of the season and the pandemic and all that. Um, he hadn't played basketball in a long time, and it took him a little while then too. So maybe he just has to be you know, at, at peak physical condition to actually be his normal self because, you know, he's not – the biggest guy like he's he's a he's definitely center size in the modern nba but he's not this seven he's not a seven footer right. he's uh you know he's probably six ten maybe so it's like he he kind of has to be that i mean every once in a while i'm sure you get this too i'll get somebody my mentions talking about how the hawks need a true center and it makes me laugh every time because it's like right. uh that's not really a thing that is like click Cl- Cl- is, is a true center in the modern nba he just happens to be not as big as like joel Embiid. <laughs> basically is what that means i guess and and literally no one is right i mean marcus hall is not in the league anymore so good, yeah i mean there, there's like there's like three or four guys in the league that actually give capella's like size issues it's basically right. like, it's like Rudy, know, Ru- Rudy, Jokic, and Embiid is kind of like the, the only three guys, to yeah. be honest. I mean, there are guys who are bigger than him, but not they're not going to push him around too much. And listen, like, you, there's only three of those guys. So, like, I, I think I'm fine with Clint Capella, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, it just makes me laugh every once in a while. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's funny because, like, with Rudy, I'm like, I'm always so impressed with his like level of conditioning. And I, I, oh, I don't, yeah. and people like who watch basketball who've not like I, you know, I've coached for years and been around it. Uh, not obviously not in the NBA and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to like throw my credentials out, but you know, I've been around enough to know that like guys who are Rudy size, 
that do as much conditioning as he does and how committed he is. Like, I don't think people know how hard it is when you're that big to actually just do conditioning work every day. It's harder than a guy who's 6'3 and 190 pounds or whatever. <laughs> it's way hard, way harder. Um, and so with Clint, with the Achilles issue, and, and be, just be careful what you ask for, you know, because you get a, you know a bigger guy in there. Other things come with that. And there's only a few guys, like Jokic just had to work so hard on his conditioning to get his level of play to where it is at the MVP level. It took years, you know, and with Rudy being a guy who doesn't get played off at times defensively, like he did like four years ago or whenever that is in my mind, like 80% conditioning. And so it's, it's not as easy as like get a bigger guy and drop him in and everything's good. Very few guys who are that big for whatever reason are able to commit to that level of conditioning to make them get kind of player. So, you know, um, I'm happy with Clint too, but just a little context there for how the center position is kind of uh, handled across the league in my in my view. Oh, definitely, uh, no question about it. Um, I also we kind of touched on it a little bit, but you know the the big thing other than their improved play is just the actual absence of DeAndre Hunter for two months, maybe longer, depending on how these how this goes. And we kind of see what they've done so far in plugging in for roles. You know, Hurst Hurst playing more. Cam's playing more. Um, we, we've seen them go smaller, at least so far, in this very small sample size. They've gone with more Lou and DeLon lineups together in, instead of going with you know TLC or going with Solo in those minutes. And Gorgie Jane's been kind of yanked around recently. He's played he play, he's played very little. He, in fact, he, he came in cold late in the third quarter on Wednesday, which was kind of interesting to me that they didn't play him in the first half. Normally, a guy doesn't play in the first half. Unless something changes with foul trouble or something, he's not going to play in the second half. And he kind of came in. It was about a minute and a half. I mean, he's a pro. Obviously, he was ready to play. But that was interesting to me, too. But I wonder what you have thought about what Nate's done so far in place of Hunter and what they might do for the next you know several weeks. Yeah, so I think um, that playing Lou and DeLon together right now is um, mo- probably mostly about not putting the the second unit, as it were, into a position where Cam has to handle the ball a lot. Um, Cam played wonderfully against Boston. Uh, you and I have talked about the fact that it's been kind of a it, mostly a struggle for him this year. Um, hopefully there's um, more um, games like the Boston game kind of coming and he'll find that consistency. But the part of his game, in, in my personal view, that lags the most and is still the most problematic is his ball handling. And so getting him into a spot where he's one of the quote guards or one of the uh, natural in the ball handlers is not setting him up for success in my view. So that's, that's there um, for me. Um, and, uh, and I think that they'll continue to do that. Um, will what I'm watching is will cam at times help close games or not in there have been times where Nate, when they've had the lead has pulled bogey, and put Cam on as a defender because uh, sometimes you want to go with kind of more defense on the floor when you have a lead that you're just trying to kind of close out the game. Um, and, and will Cam be reliable enough offensively, you know, to kind of be able to, to do that? Will Will Clint consistently close games except for in obvious situations where the other team may be behind 10, 12 points or what have you, and they're playing smaller and putting more shooting on the floor. And so, I, you know, I, I, I like the Lou DeLon cam base lineups and, and, you know, we'll see how Nate kind of structures the four and the five there. It seems like it's going to be Gallo and John a lot, um, depending on how he can kind of arrange that and that all have an impact on how much Gorgie plays or doesn't play. But, you know, I, 
I I think that um, Herder is basically a functional starter uh, on uh, reasonably good teams in the league. Has a ton to offer. Was so good uh, in both on both ends of the court last year. Is capable as a defender, capable as a second uh, initiator and creator and off ball shooter. You know things like that. So I, I I'm not worried really about the impact of the starting lineup, except when they go up against teams that have, you know, the best wing threats on offense that they just miss Hunter's length and miss Hunter's ability to navigate screens and things like that. That's there. There's nothing they can really do about that uh, unless Cam starts to take more strides there. Cam is not what Hunter is defensively. We don't have to waste 10 minutes kind of breaking that down. But, you know, he was wonderfully disruptive against Boston and was uh, really good and, and helpful, but he doesn't, he still doesn't do in the defensive half court really a lot of the stuff that Hunter does. So, for me, I think it's, you know, I feel good about the first unit. I feel good about the second unit being kind of organized around DeLon, Lou, Cam, and then however they work out the four and the five. Um, I think Gorgie's minutes are going to be off and on, you know, depending on kind of uh, the matchup, and especially in terms of what uh, the opposing teams do with their second unit, whether they play pretty small there or more traditional. Yeah, it's interesting to me. You know, I, I sit next to, our, our mutual friend, Kevin, who you podcast with regularly. Yep. Uh, Kevin's been calling for more, for more Gorgi each and every night, which, <laughs> I I, which I'm, I'm definitely enjoying. But uh, yeah, I, I can just see all sides. I mean, I there are nights, I know, I, know, I, know, uh, I think Nate even said that, that they might use Solo against Boston to, just to guard Tatum, and he didn't do that. Um, it was an option for them, and I think there will be a, a time in this stretch where they kind of just need to play TLC or need to play Solo just for a little bit more bulk. Um, on a guy like, you know, obviously it was Tatum and they didn't have to do that, but Tatum's not the, great, not the greatest, like, you know, downhill driver. He's more of a pull-up right. guy. Um, you know, for instance, if they were, if they, if they played LeBron in this run, which they, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's, that's going to be on the schedule, but if they play like someone like that, they might need just a little bit more bulk on that guy. Um, right. And Cam can do that. He's not quite as good on the ball, obviously. He's more of an off-ball, ball hawk, you know, Robert Covington type defender. But yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see what he does. I mean, even within the rotation, this is very granular, but there was a two-game stretch where he was taking Trey out early in both the first and third quarters and then bringing him back in pretty quickly. And then last night, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. And it, it was like, oh, that's interesting because he, he was going to do that. They seemed like they liked it. They talked about it. It worked, quote unquote, in two wins. And normally, when stuff works, you keep doing it. And they didn't do it last night, so I don't really know. It's, they have a lot of options. That's one of the that's one of the bright spots of this team this year. Is that even when you have a pretty high profile loss, you have a ton of different combinations you can try. But it seems like he is going to just lean, at least for now, on the guys that he trusts, like Lou and you know maybe a little bit more Delon. And they've used Solo when they've had to. You know when when Herter, when Herter left that game early a couple of days ago, they started Solo in the third quarter after not playing him in the first half because Nate trusts Solo. So right, yeah. And then even last night against Boston, my recollection is that like Delon or Lou or Delon or both were at the table. They even mark in the first quarter. Then the Hawks hit a little bit of a rough patch and Nate called his first timeout I think it was and then rolled his starters back out after the timeout and and so I think maybe Nate's being a little sensitive to like hey we can't really try to um, manage three four minute stretches where um, we're struggling and we don't have you know our best lineup on the court so it could it could be he's just trying to kind of steer clear of that because that's what I felt like I saw last night and and i in going into their next game against charlotte i have no idea if trey will sit like at the seven minute mark or or sorry the five minute mark or wherever 
um, or if he'll play the whole first quarter like he's been earlier in the season. I don't know really what the plan is or what the logic is there yet. Maybe, <laughs> we'll, we'll maybe in the next two or three <laughs> games we'll figure it out. But I, I don't. Yeah. I don't have a read yet. I, I did. I, I thought I, I thought I did, and then I didn't. So I uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see on that. Um, that was like all the things that I wanted to definitely ask you, other than other than this last point. And this is it's too early for this, and this is not really how I think all the time, and may not be either for you. But I keep getting asked like how this early stretch has made has sort of affected my thinking. Because you know preseason, I was thinking Hawks is the I picked, I picked him to be the three seed, uh, or Same. at least. Uh, and you know they're seven and nine, all is not lost. But has anything changed in your mind in terms of big picture stuff with the struggles they've had so far? Because um, if I asked people this a week ago, maybe it would have been a little bit more dire. But um, where are you at now versus where you were a few weeks ago before the season started? Yeah, I don't, I mean, if you had asked me before this, getting these three wins and kind of calming us all down, even those of, those of us that are more on the calm side anyway, but like, are we sure they're going to start winning games again soon? You know, um, just, just the math kind of makes you start to kind of scratch your head a little bit. But no, I, I think I would, I would still have them uh, third. Miami is playing so well, um, even their rough um, kind of stretches on the West Coast. They they got a, the number of wins they needed to get when they've been on the road. Um, and so that they're, def- I mean, I don't want anyone to hear this and go, Glenn thinks Miami's not playing better than Atlanta. That's not what I think at all. Miami's playing better. Uh, I still am worried about Miami's depth across the whole regular season. Um, and just, I think the Hawks' depth uh, sets them up to just pro- maybe get more wins than than Miami uh, gets. I mean, you, and look at the guys on the team, like, Jimmy misses some time most seasons, you know, Kyle uh, tends to have kind of that record record too. So I, I think Miami's playing a lot better, um, but I would still think the Hawks win more games with, with Philly. Um, you know, so everything is really kind of based on Embiid and, you know, what's, you know, what is, what is our expectation for how many games he's able to log uh, in the regular season? He's, you know, so good on both ends of the court, but, you know, they have a similar depth challenge that Miami has and that's where I put the Hawks uh, a little bit better. So I think if I, if someone made me put some kind of money, uh, put some money on it, uh, I'd still would have <laughs> Atlanta three, Miami four, Philly five. I mean, I don't, I don't really uh, buy Washington as a team that's going to win more than 42 or 43 uh, games. I think they're, they're too exposed at the center position, even after they get Bryant uh, back and then if I look kind of what else is going on in the East, I think Boston's going to be, um, you know, uh, have enough struggles offensively. Charlotte, I would put in that low 40s as well, just because they, they're they pretty exposed at the center position as well. So when I kind of look around, you know, apart from if Miami just stays really healthy and kind of keeps playing at a really high level all year long, they will win more games than Atlanta. I just think the track record says that's probably not going to happen. And I don't see uh, any other teams kind of jumping in there and really showing you that they have the potential to get into the mix to be a top four seed. So that's how I'm seeing it. I'm curious, because uh, I don't think you and I have touched on this, uh, you know, between the two of us in a while. So I'm, I'm curious to hear how you're seeing that now. Yeah, it's, you know, I always try to not overreact to the beginning of the season positively or negatively, which is very on brand, I know. Um and but yeah, I mean, I think if you ask me at four and nine, if you have to alter your preseason projection at all, I think you kind of have to say yes to some degree, just because you've banked nine losses. You know what I mean? Like even if you think right. the Hawks are the same team, uh, and I and I do, I think I kind of feel the same way about the team that I did at the beginning of the season. But if you at the same time, I would have picked them to be better than seven and nine right now, 
and I certainly would have picked them to be better than four and nine after 13 games. So it's like, it's kind of that, you know, which side do you lean on? Do you lean on your prior or do you, or you kind of factor in um, what you've seen on the floor? And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on Washington. I think they're pretty decent, but they're not, they're not better than the Hawks in my mind. I think the team that has surprised me in a positive way has been Chicago. I was not high on Chicago um, coming into the year, but they right. do have, ta- they do have talent and you know, DeRose is playing great, all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, Miami, I was actually lower on Miami, but they, they are playing well. So it's like, ironically, Milwaukee's the team that's closer to closest to Atlanta in the standings right now right. because they've had nobody healthy this year other than Giannis. They've had, you know, basically no Brooke Lopez and half the season of Drew, half the season of Middleton, all that stuff. But yeah, I think I'd still have them as a top four seed. I don't know if I'd pick them ahead of Miami right now just because of the start that Miami's at. I mean, right. It basically is that I, I still think, I think deep down that the Hawks are better than the Heat, but are they more than three and a half games better over the next 80% of the season? I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like uh, that margin matters on some way. Yeah. They'll need to win three out of four probably to kind of make up some of the what they've lost here in the early season. And, yeah, I mean, Miami's you know. net rate is like plus seven. Like they're, they're playing at a level that really I didn't well. I did not envision them playing. So I could, I could just be wrong on them, to be honest. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They, and, I mean, and Kyle, or, Kyle Lowry is like the uh, – I mean, I don't have to go look, but like, but like even he'll come out of a game where he's like three for ten with like eight assists and it's like – plus a million, you know, <laughs> you know, in terms of like his impact on the game. And that just doesn't shock me at all. I thought he's a, a terrific, terrific fit going in down there, but we talked about that. And then I guess I hit on Chicago, but I feel like the whole league is like, okay, we, deciding we have to figure out what Chicago is doing because I don't view kind of what they've been doing as like season long sustainable stuff. Like when you look at their, personnel like is that defense going to stay at that level for the whole season i just can't see that happening and that doesn't mean i think they're going to be terrible but i um but that's there and is the kind of the chemistry and the ball sharing and the um role alignment between levine and derozan uh and then like it's weird to think about levine and derozan being on a team helping maximize boots like that doesn't make any sense to me at all but, you know, I've always been like, even when I had my own podcast, I was like, let's watch and see. Let's, let's you know, I'm not going to prejudge it and say they can't do it. I'm just saying, if you ask me an honest, like, assessment right now of like, is, are they going to be able to kind of keep that up? I still see them as kind of a third, 43, 44, 45 win team, just because I think that there are some kind of uh, flaws uh, to their roster construction and the way that line, their rotation is put together even though they have a ton of top-end talent, especially offensively. Um, but I, I do think the league is like, okay, Chicago, the, what you're doing is interesting, but we're going to kind of work on this and figure it out, um, <laughs> you know, and, and the, the challenge will get bigger. To, to bring it back to the Hawks, I think the one thing, if I had to name one thing that would make me feel like um, a little concerned about keeping them up as, you know, a viable, you know, top four seed is – they have to take every game seriously. I, I think that they have to realize, like, they're good, but they're not so good that they can kind of uh, sleepwalk through the first half of a game against almost anybody in the league and then just kind of put their foot on the gas and stick a half. They've got to come into games wanting to be the best team from the very beginning of the game. And the NBA season's a grind. And so I think it's fair to question, like, are they going to do that? Like, it was easier last year after the coaching change, trying to build up to getting into the playoffs and then trying to build up to getting the best seed you can and then – being in the playoffs, you know, Trey has said it. It's a lot easier 
in that context to, you know, throw yourself effort-wise and engagement-wise and all that sort of stuff, the whole game. Can they do that? Will this team do that across the whole season? I, I don't know. You know, and that if something causes them to land at closer to 500 than, than to say 50 wins, to me, that's going to be the thing that kind of costs them, you know, five, six wins, you know, along the way where they just went into a game and they were, you know, given B minus C plus effort and engagement where, you know, for this team to maximize this regular season, that's just something they can't, um, they have to hold themselves accountable to doing better than that. Yeah, I think the hope would be that maybe that slow start woke them up a little bit. And, you know, there was the the quote by Trey that got a lot of attention about how they were kind of bored already and et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully at four and nine, you look up and you're like, all right, we, we can't do this because it's not working. <laughs> and now we have to kind of turn it on and leave it on for a while and see what happens. But, yeah, I think we're on the same page. I, th- I think I'd probably lower my projection just a touch because you just kind of have to. But I still feel pretty good about the team overall, um, the talent levels there. And they can withstand injuries. That You know, the one other thing that I've, I know I've said a couple times is that um, – they can withstand the Hunter injury, but what it does do is kind of remove margin for error. Like you can't afford another injury. Like when Herter went down after that with the with the hamstring, it's like, oh no, now we're now we're back to last year when it's like for sure. you know, cluster injuries, and that's what you can't. Like if you're if you're suddenly losing, you know, two or three wings at the same time and yeah. that kind of stuff. So yeah. we'll keep an, we'll keep an eye on that too. Yeah, yeah, no team really can. No, you know, but but that 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 would cause us to have to kind of revisit what we what our. Um, kind of projection is at that point, but knock on wood. Hopefully, it won't. Yeah, it won't uh, come to no, no more long term stuff. But you know, you never know when that stuff comes. That's how sports work. That is part of the uh, part of the league in some respects. Uh, well, Glenn, I'm taking up a lot of your time. I really appreciate it. Please uh, tell people where they can find your work, including, I guess, that other podcast with my arch rival. <laughs> yeah, so PC Hoots is where my writing comes out. Um, uh, other areas of my life are really busy right now, so I'm not putting out, qu- I haven't been able to put out quite as much content there, but any of my writing comes out there uh, at Willis Sunday on Twitter. Um, you know, I, after every game, I, I try to post a few of the interesting kind of uh, plays and some commentary um, there. I try to live, live tweet games. So that's, that's where you kind of, kind of get all my stuff. And then, um, you know, Kevin and then has kind of made it a regular thing to have, have me on there. Etail on 29, always, uh, enjoy those conversations um uh so you can kind of kind of find us there too i i think the idea is to to start getting a little bit more variety there which i welcome um so you may hear some other folks across the coming months there um uh as well um which i think is just good adds more um uh kind of um color and variety to what's going on there but um you know he and i are good for a couple episodes a week i think <laughs> for the most part and uh and greatly enjoy and appreciate the opportunity to be there no i i'm a listener to that as much as uh, i don't want to tell kevin and uh no thank you for thank you for doing this podcast i try not to bug you too much but it's always a pleasure to have you on my friend and people should be reading glenn's work and all of the work of Peachtree Hoops. I don't plug as much as I used to for, I guess, for obvious reasons. I don't, I don't work on it every day, but it's still fantastic stuff. Zach, Graham, Glenn, Wes, everybody that's still over there at Peachtree Hoops, that should be read on a regular basis. Indeed. Thank you, sir. Uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, Thursday evening, and uh, the Hawks will be back in action pretty soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy the conversation. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you after the game on Saturday night.